7, verses 9 and 10, and then verses 13 and 14, and this is in the context of a vision that Daniel had. Daniel 9, or Daniel 7, beginning in verse 9. Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is God's word. Please be seated. I'm not really going out on a limb by saying that at some point in your life, you will face a situation that you might describe as impossible. And by that, I mean that you will face a threat to your well-being that far outstrips your wisdom, it far outstrips your power to do anything about it. From a human point of view, you will be in an impossible situation. And it could be any number of things. It might have to do with your health, your physical or your mental health. You might have a condition that that doesn't have a simple solution. You might be in a situation where there's no solution. It might be your work or your career. You might find that the work that you perhaps once loved now has become almost unbearable. Decisions are made. There are market forces. The culture of your, your workplace has changed, and there is not a thing you can do about it. Or it might be a relationship, a core relationship in your life that's just broken. might be with a spouse, might be with a a child, might be with your parents, it might be with a friend, it might be with brothers and sisters in Christ, in your church family. And you have tried everything human possible, humanly possible, but that relationship is still broken. Could be a dozen other things, but at some point in our lives, if you live long enough, you will experience an impossible situation, something that threats your well-being, goes beyond your wisdom and power to address. Some of you, I know, are facing those exact situations right now. Today we're going to see how Daniel faced a seemingly impossible situation, and we're, we're considering Daniel in the context of our current sermon series on wisdom because Daniel is one of just a very few people who are specifically singled out for their wisdom. Many people were wise, but some are singled out for their wisdom. Daniel is one. Next week we'll look at Joseph. Uh, three weeks from today we'll look at Solomon. But the book of Daniel emphasizes that Daniel and his three friends were young men who feared the Lord. In other words, they related to God as he really is in all of his perfection. And they knew that that God was radically for them because they were his people. 
And so they feared the Lord. They related to him as he really is. Consequently, in seemingly impossible situations, they had wisdom and they experienced God in amazing ways. And we're going to see in Daniel 2 three bold statements that are made about God, three bold truths that are, are said of God about who he really is. And if we fear the Lord and we understand and believe these three things about God and we relate to him appropriately in the midst of our impossible situations, and like Daniel and his three friends, we too will experience wisdom and we will experience God in amazing ways. And so we're not talking about here about five easy steps to get from God what you want. We're talking about today about fearing the Lord in the midst of impossible situations and trusting him and watching him work. And so we'll look at chapter two, but before we do, I want to just just, uh, summarize chapter one because it really sets up the context in a, a very interesting, significant way. We learn in chapter one that, that Daniel and these three other young men from Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were set apart for some special training in the king's court. They're going to be trained in wisdom and, and given this training so that they could serve it at his will. And we learn that these four, four young men distinguished themselves when it came to wisdom. Daniel specifically had this gifting when it came to visions and dreams. But here's the summary statement in chapter 20 about all of them. We read, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And so we go into chapter two, understanding that these four young men feared the Lord. And because they did, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, they had wisdom and the superiority of their wisdom. They'd be head and shoulders above the professional wise men in Babylon. The superiority of their wisdom was going to point to the superiority of their God. And so in light of that context, let's look at these three bold truths about God that will inform us what it means to fear him in the midst of impossible situations. Now, first of all, our God gives wisdom, gives his wisdom, and displays his might. He doesn't just have wisdom, he gives wisdom. And chapter 2 begins by Nebuchadnezzar uh, having a dream. It's a dream that left him sleepless and troubled. And so he gathered the professionals about, these magicians and enchanters, Chaldeans. And he said, I want you to tell me, first of all, tell me my dream, And then I want you to tell me the interpretation. And if you don't, and this is kind of his basic threat, he said, I will tear you limb from limb and I will tear down your house. And they say, how about you tell us the dream and then we will tell you the interpretation. They tried that twice and the king refused. And so here's here's the statement that they made. These magicians and and, uh, professionals, they they made this telling statement, verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods." whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so they basically admitted, we, we're, we're helpless here. 
we have this pantheon of gods, but they don't dwell with us. They don't dwell with human beings, and they don't talk to us. And so they just, just admitted we have gods, but they're irrelevant. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar went from being um, troubled and sleepless to being angry and furious. And he commanded that all the wise men in Babylon would be destroyed. And that would include Daniel and his three friends. And so they were in an impossible situation, right? They were under a death sentence, not because of anything they had done wrong, but because the king was angry with his wise men. When Daniel heard the decree, this was his response, verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Prudence and discretion. Does that sound familiar? If you were here when we looked at Proverbs 1, you'll remember that's what Proverbs promises those who feast on the Proverbs, uh, the wisdom that's found there. And so in Proverbs 1.4, the author said the Proverbs were written, verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. That's Daniel. He was no longer simple. He was no longer undeclared. He had become wise, and therefore he had prudence and discretion. And so this is like reason number 57, why we should feast on the Proverbs, why we should saturate our hearts and minds with the Word, because it equips us for these situations that we can't anticipate. So we're not looking for the answers. We're, we're looking to become wise people so that we'll know how to respond when we're in these situations. We'll have an intuitive sense of what we should say and not say, which is just as important as what to say. So instead of responding with outrage or defiance or anything else that would have made it worse, Daniel asked the messenger to explain the situation to him. Once he understood the situation, he said, I need to make an appointment. I, I need an audience to the king, with the king, because I'm going to tell him his dream and the interpretation. He was that confident that his God would, would show him that wisdom. Then he went and told his friends, he said, we need to seek mercy from God. We, we need for him to come through for us so that we are not killed along with the wise men. And in contrast to the Babylonian gods, their God heard their prayers and answered in power. That's one of the things that in Deuteronomy 4, 7, look it up. He said, who has a God like ours who is near to us and answer, answers us when we call out to him? He actually communicates with us. In a vision that night, God revealed to Daniel the dream and its interpretation. In the beginning in verse 20, Daniel prays this prayer. It's really a wisdom psalm. And uh, we'll just read a couple of verses. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And so he has wisdom. He has might. But we see in verse, we're going to see in verse 21, he also gives his wisdom, and he also displays his might for his glory. Verse 21, when it comes to, to might, Daniel says, He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. That's what the dream was about. We'll see that later. Nebuchadnezzar needed to know that that's who God was. He is a mighty God who displays his might. One of the core things he does is he sets up kings and takes away kings. When it came to his wisdom, 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who, uh, who have understanding. <clears throat> so he not only gives wisdom to the simple <clears throat> who want it, he gives wisdom to the wise. He saw that in Proverbs 1. If you fear the Lord, you become wise and you stay humble and you stay teachable and you become more and more wise. And so the truth about God we learn in these first 24 verses is that our God gives his wisdom and displays his might. <clears throat> we'll wait to talk about might until the next section. But here's the implication in relation to wisdom. If we fear the Lord, we will seek wisdom expectantly. And remember, if you fear the Lord, you're relating to God as he really is. And if God really is a God who not only possesses wisdom, but he gives wisdom to those who want it, then we will relate to him accordingly. James 1 says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask in faith because God gives wisdom generously and without reproach. And so if we fear the Lord, we come expectantly. We actually believe that's who he is. He loves to give wisdom. He's not stingy. He's not reluctant. He loves to give wisdom to his people when we seek it. And so coming expectantly, that, that's not being presumptuous. That's taking God at his word. There's a kind of false humility that, that I come across sometimes. It's where a person says, who, who am I? Why would I bother God with my little little things? He's too busy to, to deal with me. That, that's not the teaching of Scripture. We're, we're to come expectantly believing that God knows, he sees, he cares about the situations in which we find ourselves, so we seek him expectantly. And so bring to mind a situation that you're in right now. It may be impossible or it may just be some trouble you're facing, something that just has you stymied. Let me ask you honestly, in the context of that decision, are you seeking wisdom expectantly? Or... Or are you just operating on your own best thoughts? Or are you just hoping that things get better? Well, uh, Daniel and his friends remind us that we should seek wisdom expectantly. Um, and we do that through scripture, we do it through prayer, we do it through conversations with spiritual-minded people. And if you don't know any spiritual-minded people, uh, I've got some good news for you. There are many in our midst who seek God and who know God well, who would love to walk alongside you. And we, we want to do that in every context in the church. Here in fellowship on Sundays, in our groups, in our, our spiritual friendships, we want to see that happen. And so seek God expectantly. Verses 25 through 45, we're told another truth about God that informs what, me, what it means to seek him in impossible situations. Namely, that our God is establishing a kingdom that will never end. He really is. God is establishing a kingdom that will never end. Therefore, that should be in our mind as we live our lives. These verses describe how Daniel had a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, and he first wanted to make sure, he was very careful. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not telling you this dream because I'm wiser or smarter than all the other wise men in your, your kingdom. He says, it's God. Verse 30 says, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me by God. God has shown me this dream. 
not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You see his humility there? He just he didn't pretend, he didn't bluff, he didn't try to impress. He said, I'm telling you this because my God has wisdom and he's revealed it to me. Next, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream that had left him troubled and sleepless. He says, you saw, O king, a great image, this great statue. And here's the description in verse 32. The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then Daniel said, next thing I saw was there was this stone. It was not cut with human hands. In other words, it was fashioned by God. And this stone comes and it smashes this this statue to bits. And the stone, it grew and grew and it became a great mountain and it filled the entire earth. And the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar is very simple. You are the golden head on that statue. You are going to be smashed to bits. Your kingdom is going to disappear. And three successive kingdoms will arise. But guess what? Each of them will also be smashed to bits. And this stone that became larger and larger, we read about that in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know. That's why I gave him this dream in the first place, is that he is setting up a kingdom that will last forever. It will outlast the Babylonians, the the Medes, the Persians and the Medes, the Rome, everybody. It will outlast America. And Nebuchadnezzar needed to know that because the most foolish thing he could do is set himself up as a rival to this God who is establishing his kingdom. He would be wise to worship and serve him. <clears throat> and we're going to see at the end of the chapter, he actually does humble himself and he bows down before, uh, before Daniel. But it was kind of a short-lived humility. Guess what happens in chapter, 30, uh, chapter 3? After he's seen this image, this great statue with a head of gold, He's going to build a great statue made out of gold and tell people to bow down and worship it. He's going to learn the the hard way that God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. And so here's the truth. Our God is establishing a kingdom that will never end. And that being the case, the implication is if we fear the Lord, if we relate to him as he really is, we will submit to that king. We will gladly enter that kingdom and submit to that king. That is the safest place to be in his kingdom, under his authority and his protection, no matter what you're going through. If somebody gives you a death sentence because of something you didn't do, if you get thrown into a fiery furnace, chapter 3, if you get thrown into the lion's den, figuratively or literally, as we see in chapter 6, The safest place to be is in that kingdom serving that king. Now, this is is exciting. Turn back to chapter 7. These prophecies that that Daniel saw about a king and and the kingdom, it points us directly to Jesus Christ. 
Back in chapter 7, verse uh, 13 and 14, uh, Daniel saw a vision about four great beasts. They symbolize these four great kingdoms that arose on the earth. And in the midst of that vision, Daniel saw that the kingdom that would never pass away is given to one like a son of man. Okay, verse 13 again. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. He came to God and was presented before him. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the expression son of man simply means a human. In the book of Ezekiel, for example, over 90 times, Ezekiel is called son of man. But here, this son of man is with the clouds of heaven, and that signifies divine authority. And so he has a human form, but he's also divine. Now notice what God gives him in verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so this one like a son of man is going to be the king in the kingdom that will never end. He's going to be both human and divine. If you read the Gospels, you see Jesus referring to himself how? The son of man is his favorite way of of referring to himself. He talked about what the Son of Man would do, and there's all these references back to, to Daniel 7. Let me just give you three examples. Mark 10:45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, the one who's going to be given a kingdom that will never pass away, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the type of king Jesus is. He's not a tyrant. He's a servant. He came to free us, to redeem us so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Our king is a good shepherd who would lay down his life for us. In Luke 9.22, he warned his disciples, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So before he comes in power on a cloud, he's going to be killed at the hands of sinful men. He's going to pay for the sins of the people. And finally, when Jesus was asked, are you the son of God? This is the way he replied, Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a clear reference to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And so Jesus is the son of God and the son of man who became one of us. He, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. Now he is enthroned at the right hand of God, the place of power. And one day he will come on the clouds to fully establish a kingdom that will never end. That is the truth about God. And since that's who Jesus really is, if we fear the Lord, we will gladly submit to him as our king. And if you have never bowed the knee to Jesus, 
if you have never gladly submitted, one day every knee will bow, period. But if you have never gladly submitted to him, this life is your window of opportunity. After you die, that opportunity is over. And so if you have come to the place where you recognize your sinfulness and you are burdened down by your sin and you know that you cannot take away your sin, admit that to God. And if you've come to the place where you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sins, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will be in the safest place in the universe. You will be under the authority and protection of a king whose kingdom will last forever. And we all, all need that all the time. But when we find ourselves in these impossible situations, that's when we, we absolutely have to remember, I'm helpless, this situation is out of control, but my king is establishing a kingdom that will last forever. And that will change the way we, we deal with these impossible situations that we face in our lives. You read the rest of the book of Daniel, you see that's true whether you're promoted to places of authority or whether you're persecuted for your faith. The third truth about God we see in Daniel 2 is this. Our God's reputation grows when his people walk in wisdom. God, it's an amazing thing, he links his reputation on his people, with his people. That's what happened in Babylon when Daniel and his three friends feared the Lord and walked in wisdom. Verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And so think about Nebuchadnezzar. He went from troubled and sleepless to angry and furious to face on the ground, humbled himself before Daniel because of the wisdom that his God had given him. In verse 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. What a remarkable saying coming out of the mouth of a pagan king who has had power over everything in his world. That would not have happened if Daniel and his friends had not walked in wisdom. It would not have happened if they hadn't feared the Lord, responded with prudence and discretion, and let God give them more wisdom. And so it turns out that God put Daniel in that impossible situation. And of course, nothing, nothing's impossible when God is your God. He put him in that situation so that his wisdom and might be on full display and the last couple of verses tell us Daniel and his three friends were all, were all promoted to positions of prominence. And so here's the third truth we learn from these verses. Our God's reputation grows when his people walk in wisdom. And so if we fear the Lord in light of that truth, and we live our lives knowing that God's reputation is linked to the way we live our lives, then here's the implication. If we fear the Lord, we will be vigilant about becoming wise. Becoming wise was not optional for Daniel and his friends, given the assignment they had from God. And for us, becoming wise is not optional because likewise, he gives us assignments. All these things we might see are coincidences or something that happened to me. These are assignments from God where God wants to display his wisdom, his glory. And and if you were part of the body of Christ, 
You probably know this, but we need to be reminded of this very, in a very pointed way often. That Jesus, you know, when he walked on this earth, people could see his body. They could hear him speak. But we now are the body of Christ. We're the tangible representation of Christ on earth. And Christ basically says, you want to know what I'm like? Look at my people. Look how they speak. Look how they, they live their lives, how they act. And so since we are called to represent Jesus himself accurately, we need to be vigilant about becoming wise. It is not optional for any of us in, in, the, 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 in the body of Christ. And so, like Philip Yancey said decades ago, we need to weave the parachute before we jump out of the plane, okay? When you're in a free fall, it's a little late. And so now is the time. Seek wisdom, becoming wise, become wise, so that like Daniel, when the impossible situation shows up, you'll be wise. You'll, you'll respond with discretion and prudence. Or like Job, he was already wise. He feared the Lord. And so when his world was blown apart, he fell to the ground and he worshiped. He didn't curse God. He blessed God. And in both cases, God's reputation grew. For Job, his reputation in heaven. For Daniel, God's reputation on earth. Now, of course, Jesus warned us. You find it several times in the Gospels. Uh, Some people will hate us. Jesus said, some people are going to hate you because they hate me. And so that's a reality. But if people hate us, may it not be because we're foolish. May it not be because we're loudmouths and blowhards. May it not be because we are people who just go around wanting our own way. May we be people who are wise. And there will be some people, like Nebuchadnezzar, in, in our lives, there will be some people it gets their attention, and they're fascinated, and they want to know about our God, and they want to know about our wisdom. And that's when we, like Daniel, can tell them, it's not us, it's not me. I have a God who knows wisdom, who gives wisdom. I have a God who is establishing a kingdom that will never end. And you can know that king, and you can live in that kingdom. And there will be these opportunities to share Christ, to share the gospel about this kingdom. And so at some point, each of us are going to find ourselves in these impossible situations. As we walk in the fear of the Lord, we can be confident that God will give us wisdom. And God will show up in power and might. Not for our glory, but for his. And so God, we ask that you would you would make us into people like Daniel and his friends. And God, some of us here today are in these situations, these impossible situations, these situations where we have no wisdom, we have no solutions, we have no power. And so, God, we're asking you to make us wise so that we'll know how to respond initially and we'll know how to walk in these situations for weeks or months or years if necessary, but we will walk in wisdom, trusting you. And we pray, God, that your reputation through us will grow and swell, that Jesus, our King, might be exalted. In his name we pray, amen.